I'm going to bring yet another truth to you today out of the book of Job. Another truth. There's many truths in the book of Job. Wow. The book of Job is full of truth. So we're going to be the first, uh, oh, the first verse, Job 1.1, we're going to start out with. And I'm going to read through chapter 40. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe that? This will be your last Sunday. Chapter 40. If you've never read through the book of Job, you owe it to yourself. You really do. Because you come, you, you got the supposed friends that Job has trouble and he has these friends come and give him advice and he answers back and forth. There's three of them. Then a fourth one comes and he, he's as bad as the three. And, and then Job begins to even say some things and then God comes into the thing about 38th chapter. And God says, uh, where were you? And then he starts listening for about two and a half chapters. He lists the things that he's done that we don't know a thing about. And at the end of that, Job just put his hand over his mouth and said, I, I can't speak. And that's true. The God we serve is so big, so wide, there's no way we can know him in, in his fullness. That's going to be an eternal thing. What are we going to do in heaven? Part of us is just knowing God and doing his service. The Bible says his servants shall serve him. That's what we're going to do for eternity. But I want to do it now. While I, can, while I have the choice of not doing it, I could not do it if I don't want to, and I could do it if I, I want to serve him while I can serve him by freedom of choice. So the, who is this Job? Let me give you a little background because, you know, not everybody in this room knows the Bible well. So you that know the Bible well, you get a review, but you that do not know, you're going to be kind of brought up to where I need to start out at. I've got to bring you up to it. So Job, as the Bible describes him in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect. Notice four things there. These are not what I'm going to preach about, but there are four things there. He was perfect, upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. That's four things that you want God to talk to you about you. Now, this is not the message, but those would be great four goals of life. Because God really liked what he saw in Job. He liked what he saw. He was perfect, he was upright, he feared God and eschewed evil. Now, the word perfect means undefiled. He hadn't defiled himself with the things of, of around him, the wickedness. There was a lot of wickedness around Job. But he hadn't defiled himself with it. That's what it means by perfect. It doesn't mean without fault, like our definition would be, but more undefiled. He, 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 had, made, he had had troubles, no doubt, but he had, he had always, the Bible says the righteous fall seven times and riseth up again. I mean, there's no Christian that hasn't stumbled or had trouble. Or in Romans, Hebrews chapter 12 said there's, every Christian out there has received some chastisement of some sort. I mean, how many of you never received a spanking at home? Do not raise your hand. You should have. The second thing he says, he was upright. That upright, you can define, there's a lot of connotative meanings for that word. One of them is, I looked up, was straight. He was straight. He was just. He was upright. That's a good word. The word is good. It means straight. He was, he was according to the law. He wanted to do the right thing. He feared God. That means he reverenced and respected who God was. The fourth thing, he eschewed evil. Uh, I, I like the definition. I looked up a definition. It says sour on evil. I hope you remember that. 
skewed is not a word we use a lot. He was repulsed by evil. He was soured on evil. He didn't feed off of evil. evil. He didn't get entertained by evil. He was soured by evil. He was turned off by what he was turned off by what he saw in Hollywood. He was turned off by the immorality of his society. You know what I mean by that? He was soured on it. He skewed evil. So he was uh, undefiled. He was straight. He reverenced and respected God, and he was sour on evil. Those are great things spoken about him. Job, by the way, was vindicated in the end of his life after all the trials and troubles that he went through, and God did put him through some tremendous trouble. He lost all ten children. He lost all of his wealth and eventually lost his health. It was bad, but Job was vindicated in the end. In the end of the book there, he was restored double everything that he had lost, even children. Now, I realize you can't replace children. You, you get that. You can replace a car, you can replace a boat, you can replace a house, but you don't replace children. But he had 10 more children. And that was because Job's wife came to him and says, curse God and die. She got to have 10 more kids. There's justice. Job and the whole thing didn't get bitter. Now these are all... Each one of these statements I make are sermons around this truths, around this, you could speak 30 minutes or so around these one truths. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get bitter. He actually was given a position of authority over the four friends that came to him and tried to tell him he had done something wrong, and that's why God was punishing him. That was basically the essence of what they were talking about. They said God doesn't punish good people. He doesn't punish people that haven't done anything wrong. He punishes people that have done something wrong. So evidently you're hiding something. There's something secret. You're doing something wrong somewhere, somehow. That's kind of their reasoning line as they went through all those chapters. You read and then he was like, no, that's not right. It's not, I didn't do that. I, I've been upright. I've done right. And yet God still has, has cursed me. And it really nobody could say the loss that he suffered wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a curse. It was tough. It was rough but he was still given a position of authority over his friends in the end if he prayed for them, and he did. He forgave them. And Job 42.10, it says at the end of the book, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. So when somebody does you wrong, what should you do? They should go right to the top of your prayer list. I've had people do me wrong. Can you believe that? Sweet as I am. I've had people say I was the devil incarnate. Literally called me the devil. Came in my office, came all the way in my office to tell me that. I don't know if you ever had that happen, Doc. Uh, I'll come in and do it for you so you don't miss out. But I mean, I mean, you the devil, you, you were, you know. At least they didn't say with the devil with the blue dress out. But anyways, I'm the devil. I said, how can what? Uh, you get persecuted. But the big thing is you want to pray for people that do you wrong. You want to pray for people that do you wrong. Why would I pray for people that do me wrong, hate my guts, and wish I died an early miserable death? Because that's going to keep you from getting bitter. Because I can't change them, amen. I wish I could, but I can't change them, but I sure can change me. 
and I sure enough can ask, I can ask God to help them. And I know it, it may be getting hard to get out of your mouth. You know, somebody that said bad thing or done things to you or crossed you or cheated you or robbed you, and there's going to be a hundred different scenarios there. But it may be a little hard, but you, the first time you pray for them, it's a little hard to get it out. At least that's what I find. Lord, help so-and-so do well. You know, it's wrong to pray, God, judge them, beat them up, tear them up. Don't do that. We're not good enough to be able to judge like that. And so, it's like the guy smoking a cigarette. He's got a cigarette in his mouth. You know how the old boys used to smoke? They'd hang that cigarette out of their mouth and talk, and it'd sit there, a cigarette would go like that. <laughs> now, son, he'd have a boy, about a 12-year-old boy, and say, son, don't you smoke that marijuana. That's bad for you. Here he's smoking cigarettes, which is killing him, telling his boy not to smoke marijuana. I know I'm mispronouncing that. <laughs> so, hypocrisy. We're not, we're, we're personally so bad, we're not given the ability to judge very much. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Why is that? because we're not good enough really to take vengeance. We, we, we're too skewed. Our vision's not clear, but I know God is. And when people do me bad, that's God's business to take care of that any way he wants to do it. My business is to pray like Job for those people that are against me and ask God to help them. And I had a list of them. Now, don't try to get on the top of my list. Don't do it. Please don't do it. But uh, Job interceded for his kids before they died in a storm that was sent by, by God, by the way. The Bible says a prudent man, the Bible says a prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself. I don't think there's anything wrong with taking caution and precautions. I don't think there's anything wrong with having an alarm system on your house or having a dog or something that would warn you, maybe somebody wanted to get in your house. It's fine to do that. You, you know, you wear, there's nothing wrong with wearing seat belts. You know, nothing wrong really with wearing a helmet if you ride a motorcycle. Those are just precautionary things that we take. The prudent man uh, foresees evil, possibility of trouble, and he hides himself. He does everything he can not to fall into the pit. He said there's a pit down the road. You want to try everything you can to do to, to, to not fall in that pit. But there are certain pits that you're not going to be able to be cautious enough to avoid. There's certain things going to happen to you. You're not going to be able to, in all your wisdom and all your zeal, you're not going to be able to avoid them. They're going to happen to you. Well, Job, he prayed for his kids. Let me read you in verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, here's what he said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, not even verbally, not even out loud. And thus Job did continually. So he made sacrifices to God for his children just in case they did something in secret in their hearts that nobody saw. What a man. Job was, by the way, God said, Job chapter 1, verse 8, that Job was the best person on earth. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there was none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what was said of him in verse 1 of chapter 1. So you have verse 8, and you have verse 1 repeating these four things. So do you think that that would probably be a good thing for you and I to, a goals for you and I to go for? For sure. I would think so. Job endured serious personal loss for you that know the book. You know that. The storm came by and killed all ten children. Uh, people came and robbed him from all of his wealth. He got eventually sores upon him. Not just sores, but boils. How many in this room have ever had a boil? Raise your hand. Oh, my, we got a club. We ought to go out to eat together. I mean, man, boil will get your attention. I mean, boil will just take your mind and focus on the boil. You'll focus on the boil. It's like having a migraine headache. That's all you can think about. I mean, it's just right here. You got that. You got that. And so that's what a boil. Boil is, can imagine, I just, I just personally cannot imagine what boils over my whole body would be like. He sat in some ashes and, uh, and, and scraped the pus off the boils, you that are getting ready to go eat. That had to hurt him. That had to hurt him. Man, that had to hurt. Man, that boy was in pain. And that boy was in pain. And listen, when he drove a rose, ran his mantle, shaved his head, fell upon the ground, worship, worshiped, worshiped. And this is the famous, maybe the most famous statement in the book of Job, verse 21, chapter 1. And he said, naked came out of my mother's womb. Is that true? And naked shall I return thither, not into my mother's womb, but I'm going to return from where my spirit came. I'm going, I came in naked. I'm going out naked. And then he said, the Lord gave. This is so deep. The Lord gave, and this is not the sermon, this is just introduction. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, many of you have lost all kinds of stuff. You've lost homes, you've lost boats, you've lost properties, you've lost everything. I recommend you getting on your knees before God sometime if you can bend down. You don't have to bend down, but it's a good position. It's a position of submission, a position of humility, position of reference. I mean, kneeling is a good position to be in front of God. But if you can't, you stand. Because people pray through the Bible in every kind of position, laying down, standing up, doing whatever. The Lord giveth. And we're all happy when the Lord giveth, amen. When we're in a big economy and things are going good and business is doubling every so often and, uh, and uh, you got money in the bank and the CDs are doubling and they're, they're, oh, everybody's happy. The Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh away. Notice the Bible gives credit to the Lord, God, your maker. Now the taking away part is the tough part. Nobody likes to lose anything. Nobody likes, it's of our nature to possess. We like to possess. We're all kind of, uh, what do they call them people who hoarders? Yeah, hoarders. We're kind of like hoarders. You know, pretty soon all your closets in your house are full. Pretty soon all the drawers in your house are full. How is that? How does that happen? 
which we like to possess. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then verse 22 says, And all this Job sin not, nor charge God foolishly. And that's the key. Whatever happens in your life, do not charge God foolishly. Would you say with me that Job was a good Christian? Would you, would you agree with that? I mean, he wanted to, you know, okay, let me try to give you this. Job was looking forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? We're 2,000 years from that event, almost, and we're looking back on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's just perspective. Uh, the, Adam is saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The last person ever gets saved is going to be saved by the faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're going to be looking back on it. Adam was looking forward to it. That was mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So they've been looking for the Messiah that would take away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53 came along. Woo! Most clear description of anywhere in the Bible of what happened at Calvary, who Jesus was. Surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastised our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the, the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel, man. It's the it's vicarious atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was looked forward to. So when I say, would, is Job a good Christian, you get where I'm coming from. I believe he was a fine, fine example of a person who wanted to do right. I think I'm going I'm to point out three things in Job's life, in spite of who he was, that could not stop the tragedies that came his way. The first thing I note is that Job was in the will of God. Do you agree with that? Job was in the will of God. Anything we read in the book, we know Job was in the will of God. But that did not stop the tragedies in his life. And you indeed today may be in the will of God, but it, I can say to you that it will not, not stop the tragedies that may come your way also. This dispels, by the way, the myth that tragedies are always caused from our failure because we're out of the will of God. When somebody, when somebody has some big bad thing happen to them, the first thing that seems to be in people's mind is, I wonder how, what they, how they offended God. I wonder, I wonder why God judged them that way. I wonder, I wonder if they've offended God that way. Don't tell me you never thought that. But that's not right. Not, not necessarily right. Joel was in the will of God. I went through a survey of, of men of God that have served him, and God did great and mighty things through them. First of all, I looked at is C.A. Spurgeon. C.A. Spurgeon, still, by the way, the most read preacher in the world, and he's been dead since uh, 1890, so. C.A. Spurgeon was sickly. He had gout regularly. He had migraines regularly. He had pneumonia regularly. He had, was taken out of his pulpit at Metropolitan Baptist Church in London, which had a attendance of around 5,000 people. I've been there. With gas light, by the way, no electric light. 
and a phenomenal group of people gathered around our brother and his preaching. He had to stay out of the pulpit for two years at total bed rest because of the pneumonia he had. But he was in the perfect will of God the whole time. Another one, Adoniram Judson, he's called the first American missionary. He went to Burma, was imprisoned, beaten, starved, shamed, mercilessly tied up in agonizing positions. He buried his children and his wife in Burma. Now, folks, the whole time he was in the will of God. Are you getting it? He was in the will of God. Paul the Apostle, nobody that I know has been abused more than Paul the Apostle, was constantly in discomfort physically, emotionally, in every way you could be in discomfort, yet he was in the perfect will of God, as far as we know. Hudson Taylor, the man who opened up China, who opened up China with the gospel, battled with sickness. He would have been called sickly. You could have called Hudson Taylor sickly. And he was in the will of God the whole time. George Mueller, a man of faith, was sick for weeks at a time where he could not function, and yet he was also in the will of God. Job's obeying God's will was not enough to stop the terrible tragedies he suffered from, from coming into his life. And you're doing God's will is not enough to stop the tragedies that God may have planned for you. <laughs> you say, Brother Bill, I came to church to get encouraged this morning. You will be. Number two, Job's intercessory pray, praying, and he was an intercessory prayer warrior, uh, was not enough to stop the tragedies from coming to him. Job interceded for his kids, as I mentioned, daily, made sacrifices for them daily. How many times, how many times have I heard uh, parents uh, beating themselves up for their children's failures. They'll say, oh, preacher, I could have done better. What parent in this room could not have done better? You don't get to run it again. You get one shot. What, what wife in this room could not say you could not have been a better wife? What man in this room could not say I could, have, I could have been a better husband if I had it to do again? But you do not and never will have the chance to do it again. We all have all kinds of feet of clay, as they say, or we're, we're full of faults. There's no doubt about it. But parents oftentimes beat themselves up. They say, preacher, I could have prayed more. I could have done this more. I could have done that more. Yes, you did. But, but you also did some good thing. You took your kid to church. You exposed him to the Bible. You lived a life fairly consistent before him, fairly consistent before him. My parents were not perfectly consistent in their Christian life. They had all kinds of trouble. I, I'd hear them argue together. You believe that? Any married couples in this room ever argue? Man, I did last week. Job prayed more than anybody else on earth, as far as I know. Bible said he was number one. Still, his kids were killed by a storm while in the prime of their lives. What's the lesson? The lesson is trouble comes. Sometimes to us in this world, no matter what you do, well, no, matter, no matter who you are, 
and you need to accept it as from the hand of God as Job did with the same attitude. You say, Bridger, I don't have that attitude. You can have it. You receive not because you ask not. God, help my attitude. I got a poor attitude. I believe that'll be a prayer. It'll be answered, amen? God will answer that. I have a poor attitude. Give me a better attitude. That's like your kid coming to you and say, Dad, can I clean my room up? Oh, no, son. Leave it a pigsty it is. Man, no other parent would say, oh, yeah, son. You want to maybe take his temperature and say, you're okay, but go ahead and clean it up. We go to God and say, help me to be more like you, God. Help me. You don't think he answers that prayer. Now, when you pray for a new Cadillac or a new this or a new that, new material, the Bible says in James, we pray a lot of times amiss because we just want to heap the stuff on ourselves. And God, don't he's not into answering those kind of prayers. He'll sure answer a prayer if you want to be more like him. The third thing I noticed is Job's personal righteousness, and he did have personal righteousness. He wanted to do the will of God. He had a pure heart. Did not stop the awful tragedies from coming to him. No, I don't think anybody, really, as far as I know in the Bible, was as righteous as Job. Nobody lived as free from sin as Job. Nobody was separated from evil as much as Job. Yet tragedy struck him anyway. Some people have said to me, I went to church every Sunday, preacher. I've tithed all my income. I read my Bible regularly. I prayed often. I was a soul winner. I was a member. I was a member of an independent fundamental Bible-believing church. I, I ran a bus route for years. I captained the bus router or I drove a bus for years, yet my son died of leukemia, my daughter was killed in an auto crash, my finances collapsed. And they often will say that to me as if they're surprised. Don't be surprised. Bad things happen to good people. But really bad things pretty much happen to all people. Don't we all get sick and die? Everybody in this room? Hello? Anybody in this room going to be here 100 years from now? I'm about to know for 20 years from now. For me. I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking at the chief here. I don't think he'll be around for 20 years. But anyway, we're fleeting. We're going through like a river. We're just moving. I know you. I know when you live in this world, it's, it's kind of your nature to grab a hold of the stuff and try to hold on to it, but it keeps slipping. It's like trying to grab water. You just slip through your fingers. That brand new pickup you had 20 years ago is not the pickup it is today, even the yellow one. That house you bought brand new, that everything was so magnificent, is not the house it is, you know, 30 years ago as it is here, or 40 years ago, or 50 years ago. Brother Atto lived in a house, a single house, as long as I've ever met anybody. How long have you guys lived in that house? 59? 59? Anybody in this room lived 59 years in the same house? Really, Thelma? How many years you live? Wow. So that's two, right? Anybody else? Did I miss anybody? Most of you people don't live five years in the same house. 
The average moving in and out of houses is about five years. I was a real estate agent and an appraiser. I mean, we studied that stuff. Real estate people want you to move. <laughs> they want you to move. They want you to move every year if they would, if you would, just as long as they get a commission on that every year or whatever, you know, we'll help you sell your house. And I'm for real estate people. My dad and mom were in it for 35 years. I'm, I'm not against it. But Job's personal righteousness did not stop the tragedies that came his way. And what I'm trying to tell you from looking at this book, the personal righteousness you may have is not going to stop tragedies from coming your way. Very likely in a group this big, there's people in this room that have something in your body already that's going to take your life this year. You say, preacher, this year? This year, I've almost never been wrong when I've said that. I can't think of a time that I said that that somebody within the year did not die that I was speaking to. You say, that's morbid. It's real. Be prepared to meet your God. Be prepared to meet him, to give an account of the life that you've lived, why you lived it, where you went, what you did, how you spent your money, what you invested in, what you didn't do for him. Understanding that he's already given us the instruction book on how to live and what to do. First thing you're going to want to know, when you die, the first thing you're going to wish is you read the Bible more and that you followed it. That's why this preacher tells you all the time, man, sign up for the board, read the book, read the book, read the book, read the book. I just, I just hobby horse that because if you read that, that is God's instruction manual to do before you see him. And I love you this morning, and that's why I'm telling you this. There's only one motivation for me is to love you and try to help you. Naked came, I out, naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. I like that. Thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think we need to come down to one conclusion. Biblically, I can tell you this. God is good, as Brother, as a Rock of Ages, they say it to prison. God is good all the time. He's good all the time. His character doesn't change. I come and go. I, I wax and wane. But his character is good. God's good. So if you understand and believe that God is good, whatever he does to me, I'm going to believe it's for my good. My dad and my, my dad whipped me as a child. When I say whipped me, he spanked me. I mean, serious. It was a happening. It wasn't patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. Oh, you're going to have some time out. He meant time out. <laughs> but he was, he was a Marine. Saipan Tinian, he'd see men die beside him. He'd fought for our country, made it through without a scratch. He didn't mess with you. You lied. My mom gave me the wildest whipping I ever remember when I lied outright to her. She said, I'd rather have you dead than a liar. I believed it. Believed it. Serious. I never, through any of those whippings and spankings and everything, I never once doubted that they loved me. I knew they loved me because I knew I deserved everything I got 
and got away with a few things I didn't get. My dad used to say, I used to say, Dad, Dad, before he spanked me, I just want you to know I'm innocent. I didn't do it. And he said, yes, but you've done some stuff you got away with. I'd be like, <laughs> we had a little hassock. They call it a hassock. It's a little thing you put your feet on. We'd get over the hassock. He'd say, get over the hassock, son. I, this is going to hurt me more than it does you. No, man, I think it's wrong to lie. Then I got my own kid. And you have a kid so you can whip him. <laughs> I have my own kid. I got my kid on there. I said, get over that hassock, boy. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And truthfully, it did. You hate to spank your own kid, man. Yeah, that's no fun. That's no fun. I hate, you know what I, you know what I got upset about, Troy? Troy, you here? One of the things that made, you, made me crazy is that you did the same stuff I did. I hated that. I hated that. As he grew up, he would do stuff like everybody does, and it was the same stuff I did, and I was so disgusted with the sin nature and so disgusted with the behavioral pattern that was just irrevocable through generation after generation. And then I'd spank him for it, and i think, man, I should get spanked. The Lord is good. He's good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. If you'll trust him, when the day of trouble comes, and the day of trouble will come. You trust him like Job trusted him. Put all your chips up on the table. And don't get bitter. Pray for your friends. Pray for your enemies. And God will see you through it. And in the end of the whole thing, woo, it's going to be good. Because the first time you step over on the other side into heaven and you get a new body and you get the, the beauties of the, what the book already describes that he has prepared for us, what do you think John chapter 14 was written for? I go to prepare a place for you. He said that to encourage these men who are getting ready to die for him. Of the 12 apostles, Paul being one of them, 11 of them were martyred for him. Those were his people. Those were his, those his children that he died for. Yet each one of them had to go through the veil of tears. Each one of them had to suffer. Each one of them had to die by their choice, by the way, for him. But none of them died bitter. But buddy, in comparison to what's waiting for us on the other side, the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be. That's what the Bible says. Chapter 8 of Romans. God is good. The second thing I want to say, God owes you nothing. Man, we're in a generation who everybody who thinks that they're owed, they're owed by everybody. The government owes them. The parents owe them. The school owes them. Nobody owes you anything. Everything you get's a bonus. God, by His grace and His mercy, deals with us. And, and it's by His mercy I'm not destroyed. So once you understand what I've spoken of this morning, you can handle tragedy. You can come out successful on the other side of it. Even though Job was in the will of God perfectly, tragedy happened to him. He was 
an intercessory prayer warrior, yet tragedy happened to him. He was personally righteous, yet tragedy happened to him because he trusted God that he was ultimately good. And it was all going to work out. Now, now let me ask you a question. Job didn't see the end of the book. I get to read the end of the book and say, Woo! Job prayed for his friends. God restored to him ten more children. He doubled everything he owned before. I doubled and got to live a number of more years to see other. And God then got to take him home. But had that not all happened, Job would have still trusted God. And however God treats you, just trust him. Blessed are they that trust in him. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, may the Holy Spirit of God come and take these words, these simple words, and Holy Spirit, please take them and impress them upon the hearts and the lives of these dear folks, both by internet or however they're watching or they're here. Father, may your Holy Spirit in this room now move. Nobody knows the future. Nobody knows the future of what we have here in America. Nobody knows the future of us individually. But we're gonna, we've decided, and I've decided, that we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you and pray for those who despitefully use us, pray for those who hate us, pray for those who have cursed us, and ask God to help them. Father, we pray that you'd help us. This will save a marriage. If the Bible says for you to love your enemy, how much more are you supposed to love your wife, supposed to love your husband? This will save a friendship. This will save relationships. And it ultimately will help you to end well. Help us now, Father, in Jesus' name. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.